Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, China reported weak data in October as the world's second largest economy struggled with COVID lockdowns and an international slowdown. Its economy appears to be suffering from a crisis in confidence among both consumers and businesses. Retail sales, industrial output and investment all slowing and the unemployment rate for young workers is nearly 20%. No doubt this will impact China's domestic economy and its trading partners as well severely in the future. Joining us now to talk more about this is Josh Gardner, Chief Executive Officer of Kung Fu Data, an authority on China's e-commerce scene. He's also currently the International Area Director of the Entrepreneurs' Organization and helps lifestyle brands navigate tricky situations in China. Hi, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? Great to be here. Glad to have you on as well. Tricky is a euphemism, isn't it, for a very difficult and frustrating situation. Now, the economy is slowing. It's adapting to this punishing zero-COVID strategy still, and we're seeing weakening global demand as well. How are businesses adapting, in your view, at this point? Well, I think they're doing a lot of different things. Um, we're seeing brands change their marketing strategies by adopting new angles for different consumer needs. So, for example, staycation industries and outdoor has exploded during COVID restrictions. So, you know, a lot of brands are targeting urban camping, having new collections that focus on different activities that people are willing to do and are doing in, the, in mass. And uh, we, even as a company, you know, internally, we operate a lot of brands ourselves. And, uh, for example, we have a list of things we're doing. So the first is cost optimization, obviously. Uh, we sell a lot of beer, actually, online, believe it or not. We're one of mm. the second largest craft beer group in China. And their category is suffering. Um, but we ended up immediately changing from bottled beer to canned beer to save cost. We rerouted traffic from between different platforms uh, to change where margins are bigger for our clients. And we started optimizing channels so that we were focused on different kinds of shoppers and changing the collections. And that increased sales 300% in one of the channels we went in over the summer. Uh, so, um, you know, you can do it a number of ways, but the most important thing is to focus on where there is still growth and promising upside potential. And uh, honestly, during this 11-11, a lot of our customers have less of a growth theme. You know, we're not trying to blow things up as much as have a great relationship with customers, deliver a high value and retain uh, existing clients. So which are the growth areas, even amid all of these difficulties? I know you mentioned staycations and beer. <laughs> what else? Well, no, beer is actually down. Um, the, the staycation economy is alive and well. Actually, yeah, but then you managed to pivot the beer scene, right? By yeah, making yeah. some changes, right? So what, yeah. what else? So our biggest categories are lifestyle, performance, sport, and street fashion. Now, mm-hmm. fashion, of course, is going through a painful time. But a lot of our brands that are focused on lifestyle, so things where consumers can focus on making upgrades in their life, comfort, self-care, personal optimization, and connoisseurship. So people are taking more time and being more thoughtful about their purchases, less impulsive. They're still buying luxuries. They're still buying premium products. So a lot of our clients are up several hundred percent even during 11-11, believe it or not, this year because they're facing categories 
that I would call under outdoor connoisseurship. So like you have a whole range of different kinds of sports and activities. And if you're facing those categories, you're seeing actually really strong growth. Even in athleisure, we're doing very well. So I think if you're looking at active wear, athleisure, fitness, outdoor sports, and really anything that optimizes the home, even like robots that clean the room, right? Like Mm. all the upgrades you can make at home and for your activities outside, these areas are doing extremely well for us and for our clients. Believe it or not, even with this economy, our portfolio, uh, we have more than 30 stores online in China. We're up over 60% year on year, even with all the lockdowns. So it's not all a bad story. So this, is, all, among, this is among China's domestic consumers, right? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. And we are talking here about international brands succeeding among China's consumers, correct? Correct. 100%. Okay, but here's the thing. There have been concerns on the part of foreign investors about a lack of supportive policies from the Chinese government, the zero COVID policy, and of course, the recent party congress that saw the consolidation of Mr. Xi Jinping's hold on power. All of these have triggered broader concerns about Beijing's policy direction. How do you reconcile those concerns with what you've just told us? So that's really interesting. I love this topic because I think it really depends on what category of business you're in. If you have a business that's open to the public, you know, that is really not a good place to be in China right now. I think you're you're going to be in trouble. And a lot of that would include F&B, hospitality, uh, education, anything like this. If you have a business open to the public physically, I think you are suffering tremendously. Uh, we happen to be fairly insulated from that because of the digital uh, aspect of our business. And so I can't speak for people suffering. I know a lot of businesses have done poorly. But when it comes to this regulatory crackdown, it's actually interesting. It's not targeted towards foreigners. It's targeted towards everyone. So uh, we've actually benefited from the disruption of the monopolies in the marketplaces. So Alibaba and Tencent and Douyin, uh, TikTok and China, have been disrupted. They're no longer allowed to block consumers going in between apps. They're also no longer allowed to force vendors and people like us that are merchants in the platforms to do what they want. Uh, the government said, no, we're going to turn these private, you know, these, these private, these walled gardens, what they used to call them, in, and now they're like public parks. And what's happened is consumers now, it's more complicated for us. They bounce around and shop wherever they see the best experience and best entertainment for themselves, which could be in a number of platforms. And that's changed significantly since we've been in this business almost 10 years. I can't even believe we used to just have like a, you know, two channel sort of strategy. And now you have to be multi-channel. And what that means is consumers have more choices. They're choosing different experiences and merchants are treated better because the platforms have to compete for our business now. And we're we're actually finding that to be the case, at least in our category. I mean, then again, I wouldn't want to be in a strategic technology category in China right now Mm. because then you run the risk of having your technology copied or nationalized or something like this. I think that is a real risk for certain profile businesses. Others are actually doing quite well investing in building facilities and production in China. So it really depends on how strategic your business is or your, your, your core you know, technologies are to China and how they see that. Do they see it as a threat, an asset, So I think it really depends. And I think there is a reason to be genuinely concerned about this new government, this administration, its views towards 
capitalism or towards making money, right, and, mm-hmm. and increasing wealth. And this is something that even concerns us. So while the regulatory crackdown itself has actually benefited both consumers and us as merchants by making things more open, and it's actually a little bit easier to do business in some ways, the overriding threat to us as operators, you know, are they going to come after people that are successful in the market? I mean, are you going to be overly taxed? Are they going to go after your assets? How does that work? No one's really sure. So right. That, so how are you dealing with it at this point? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, we have, uh, just like everyone else, I think you have mitigation strategies. So for us as an organization, uh, you know, we have multiple offices in China. We have multiple entities in China. We have multiple entities outside China. So we are trying to limit our liability by, you know, moving some contracts uh, will be signed offshore as opposed to it used to just be signed in Beijing or Shanghai and one of our entities there. So it really, really depends. I think everyone is taking this approach of, you know, minimizing exposure. I think at this point, until we see a clear and consistent policy direction that's stable, right? And that, and that people can, you know, make bets on and invest in. So I think that's really what everyone's waiting for. And, and I think for the interim period, it's going to remain uncertain until we see what this administration is going to do. You know, going All right. So let's talk about something you mentioned earlier. 11-11. Do you expect it to break records as it did in previous years? <laughs> so, look. Consumption in China has so far proven uninterrupted. Growth is obviously not not what we used to see in previous years. That is true. I have some clients that are down this year. I have some clients that are break-even with last year or just up a little bit. Um, But like I said, the vast majority are doing well, and we still think things are going in a positive direction. Um, I'm not sure what the growth rate is going to be over last year. So you already saw this sort of a stalling of 11-11 last year. So when Alibaba was disrupted and the government got intervened, they actually cooled off their whole entire ecosystem around 11-11, you know, under, under government regulation and oversight. And I think that legacy, that halo has continued and it's still there. They're still in the penalty box. They haven't come out yet. In fact, none of those guys are out of the penalty box at this point. <laughs> Everyone's mm. being watched and scrutinized and told what to do in terms of their activities. So to me, you're going to see a more quiet, muted version of 11.11 like you did last year, only this year, even quieter because, you know, the, the economic engine, that sort of mobility of commerce within China has slowed down and stopped because of all the COVID policies and being in enforcement in the ports and on the streets and logistics. And it's just a nightmare. So you mm. have. So there are still supply chain issues, of course, right? So people should yeah, be advised to be patient still? Yeah, it's a start-stop sort of environment, economy, right? It's start-stop. So you're, and they don't really, you don't know if you're going to be stuck inside or whether there's going to be issues. I have one of our warehouses is in lockdown right now. Uh, whereas the other four or five are fine. And and you just don't know. So you have to move your inventory around and just make sure that you're not overly committed into one thing. So that's what we're doing. And kind of it's more complicated to run, but it's also less risk for us that we can still ship. And we are being slightly disrupted even during this eleven eleven. Certain brands that we work with, their supply chain is is being disrupted in China for these deliveries, you know, lockdowns in this city problem with the logistics company. This warehouse has to be shut for a week. 
So you're you're having these issues still now. Earlier, you mentioned that there are ways to still continue marketing and selling your product on online platforms. And you gave us a few examples of how perhaps the strategy needed to be tweaked in order to be successful. So in a nutshell, what's your advice to e-commerce players at this time? I think you have to be extremely adaptable and you have to move so fast. So we say, you know, China for China and at China speed, right? That's, that's the way you have to be in this market to be successful. If you cannot move quickly and make changes to your setup in China, I think you're going to suffer. And I think the more nimble you are and the faster you move, the more likely that you're going to be just fine in this environment and you're going to be able to adapt quick enough to, you know, seize those opportunities when they do come in front of you. And so from our standpoint, we're highly focused on cert- selecting certain brands and clients to be sure that they are being endorsed by government, uh, that, you know, those categories are going to be supported and grown over the next, you know, five years. And, and that we see lots of legs, right? There, there's a huge runway here to take off. And I think if you start planning that way around where you think things are going to move um, and making sure that you're aligning all your collections and all your merchandising and strategies towards that future China that you know is coming under this new regime, and even if you're uncertain about it, going down that path, you're not going to fail because China is still building, constructing, and growing in a lot of industries. Right? Mm. It is still investing. The government is investing heavily in a lot of different industries. So there's still growth there. You just have to look very carefully where are they putting the money and the support. And I think everyone in China is thinking this way now. Where? Mm. Okay, so give us a list, Josh. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I wish I had one. <laughs> And you've been looking at all the growth areas, right? And the more strategic industries that one should look into. So give us your list or at least I mean, part I, of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, because I'm, I'm only facing retail. So for us, it's quite clear we're staying focusing on categories in lifestyle that are community brands based on an activity. So it's a community, an activity, and there's a high performance component. And that triangle of performance and community activity and add a bit of fashionability, right? And you now have a winning combination. And you can almost apply that anywhere in China. Mm, Give us a specific example of of a brand or a product that does all of that. So we, we operate in a lot of categories people don't think about. So one of those is we're the number one online seller of motorcycle racing gear Mm. in China. So people say, oh, that's not sexy. Well, we sell really beautiful, really expensive Italian full-price retail uniforms. And the volume is huge. And it's, it's actually bigger than some of the main street brands in retail that everyone thinks are super famous. They're actually under a lot of competitive pressure. In that category, you would think, wow, this is an expensive hobby to have. But actually, though, this particular brand has transitioned from that performance specialty to mainstream lifestyle. And that's what we look for. We look for that tipping point when a brand is about to make the transition. And in China, it happens quite quickly. So these smaller communities then become much larger and it happens fast. So for us, we're looking for this. I know it's not a long list of different categories, Mm. but it's a good example of how we think. We focus on a community of connoisseurs around an activity, a performance in a specific collection. And then from there, we look at when that collection can go mainstream. 
All right. Thank you very much for that, Josh. Really appreciate your time today. Josh Gardner, Chief Executive Officer of Kung Fu Data. Thanks for joining us. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.